And so we're in Romans chapter 4. If you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 4. What Paul is telling this people that live in this big city of Rome is that no matter where they come from, whether they're rich or whether they're poor, whether they're slaves or whether they're owners, whether they're Jews or whether they're Gentiles, that the good news of the gospel has power to change anyone's life. But before we understand the good news, we have to understand the bad news. You'll never be desperate to receive the good news unless you understand clearly how bad the bad news really is. How about it? If you were go to the doctor and the doctor say, hey, you need an operation, and you say, well, I don't think I need an operation, and uh, I would rather not have an operation, but the doctor says, if you don't have an operation, you're going to die. Uh, then you'll say, okay, when can I set the appointment? How soon can I set the appointment? Because if you put it that way, that there's bad news that I'm going to die, then I really need this operation. Many people aren't desperate for God. Churches around this country are not full. Buildings are halfway empty. Bibles are left unread. Prayer times are not packed out because most people haven't understood how bad it really is. If we had our eyes open to the spiritual realm and understood how bad it really is, every church in this country would be packed out and there would be overflow room only. Every prayer meeting would be busting at the seam. Every Bible would be thoroughly thumbed through. Uh, the altars would be full of people coming to Christ because if we really understood how bad the bad news is, we would be lining up to receive and grasp and hold on to the good news. Uh, people, when they were on the Titanic, that infamous ship that sank, uh, there were some people when, well, when they hit the, that infamous iceberg, they thought, well, this ship can never sink. This ship is unsinkable. I mean, after all, this is the Titanic. It had been billed as one of the most sophisticated ships that had ever been made. It had been presented as almost a city on the water that would be almost impossible to sink. The passengers had full confidence as they... As they sat in the chandelier dining rooms and enjoyed their cups of camp, uh, champagne and as they uh, slept in their luxurious rooms, they thought, no, well, there's trouble, but it can't be that bad. We're going to be okay because this ship can never sink. And even as they warn people, hey, there's some problems, many people, many passengers didn't listen to the warnings because they thought, no, 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 it's not that bad. It's, the news is not that bad. If they only had known how bad the news was, they would have more quickly gone to the decks. They would have jumped in the lifeboats that were offered them more rapidly, more urgently, because they would realize the bad news was really bad. 
We have a sea of humanity on a Titanic ship. Most people are in their uh, dining rooms and laughing and having fun and they think that life is okay and things are going pretty well but if you were to look at the spiritual realm you would see that something akin to the Titanic is happening that this big ship isn't as secure as you thought it was that our condition is worse than what we realized it was that unless we reach out to the life saving boat of the message of Jesus then there is disaster, catastrophe waiting us, we would run for the solution. We would scurry. We would bring all our family. We would gather our relatives and we would say, you need the lifeboat. If we really understood how bad the bad news is. Uh, Paul in Romans is trying to help the Romans understand That although they lived in a city called Rome, the imperial city that dominated the world, although they lived in the most sophisticated place on earth at that time, Paul is trying to let them know your condition is not that good. Just because you're Roman, a citizen of Rome, doesn't mean that you're doing well. Because spiritually, you need extreme help, and spiritually, your condition is very bad. And in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul uses the imagery of debt, and how all of us have a huge debt that we can't pay, and how we need to have someone pay that for us. So he talks to them really about this whole thing of spiritual debt and credit. Now, many of you, well, all of us, right? You go down to the local bank, and when you need a little bit of money, you go to that ATM machine. And you go to that ATM machine, and I have a little machine here on stage. It's really not an ATM machine. If you're a thief in here, don't try to break in and rob anything because it doesn't dispense cash. It's really more a giving machine. But I'm pretending here a little bit, okay? So if you were to go to that ATM machine and you were to say, you were to swipe your card in the ATM machine and it says, here's the account, and you were to look at that account and you were to realize that in your account it's almost on zero, And if you're married like me and have two people have access to the account, I have a smartphone and one of my best apps on that smartphone (laughs) is that anything that's charged $75 or more, it gives me a little message. It shows me where it was charged, what was bought and how much. I love that app. My, my phone will go ding. I'll look at it and it says $101 was charged. And I'll call my wife up and I say, honey, did you just spend $101 at a clothing store? She said, How do you know that? Well, you know, I'm tracking you, honey. <laughs> now, she recently informed me that she's learned how to work around it. 
It only tracks anything over $75. So she said, I figured it out. I charge under $75. A couple of items, I go get one item for $70. Then I'll go find another item for $70. And I fly under the radar, honey. So... But you may go to an account and you may discover that at your account as you go to pull out money, if you were to go to an ATM machine and go to pull out money and it'll say zero is in your account. And if you were to uh, check a little bit and it would say, in fact, not only is zero in your account, but it is minus $300. And you would say, oh no, I've overdrawn in my account. There is Nothing there. In fact, not only is there nothing there that I can draw out, but I have a negative of $300 in my account. And on top of that, the bank's going to charge you another $25 for being overdrawn. And so now it's $325 negative in your account. And you say to yourself, well, I, I, I need money and my account is negative. I, I'm not really sure what's going to do. What you need is you need credit. You need someone to credit your account so that you have enough to draw on because you're minus in that account. The Apostle Paul, they didn't have ATM machines in the day of the Apostle Paul, but they understood the idea of credit and accounts. Now I want you to see what the Apostle Paul says about this. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down because this is about faith that wipes our sin debt and gives us the credit of righteousness. The first point that I want you to write down is this. Our spiritual account is credited through faith, not through good works. You see, the Apostle Paul begins to talk about Abraham and gives the illustration of Abraham. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 1, he says, What then shall we say that Abraham... Abraham was considered the father of faith. Our forefather discovered in this matter, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Verse 3, what does Scripture say? Listen, Abraham believed God, and it was what? Credited to him as righteousness. That word, by the way, credited, it's a Greek word, logozomai, and it was used in, a, in, in business accounting, and it literally means, it was used in secular documents in business accounting, and it literally means to put down to one's account. In other words, it means deposited. So listen to what he says. Some of us, all of us, we come before God and you look at your spiritual account and it's negative. Oh, it's not just 300, 400, it's millions and trillions negative in your account. You come before God and God looks at your account and he says, you owe way too much. You say, well, don't worry, God, I'm trying to boost up my account and God looks at your spiritual account at your life and he says, you are trillions of dollars in debt. And you come before God Almighty and you say, well, hold on, God, God hold on, Lord, I'm going to try to go to church more. And I'm going to try to visit my, my mother-in-law more. I'm going to take her some 
menudo this week and really, you know, that, that should count for something, Lord. And I'm going to try to give to charity a little bit more. God, I'm trying to make, make my way out of this account. I'm trying to work my way out of debt. Give me a little extra time, God. I'm going to try to be better. I'm going to try to do good so that my account can be okay before you. Because God, don't put me in jail. God, don't, don't bring down judgment upon me. I know my account is negative before you, but I'm going to try to work my way out of this huge debt that I have. And this is what God says. He says, Abraham could not do good works to work his way out of this debt. But what Abraham did is he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. As the, I, I really want you to understand this. Verse 4 says, Now when a man works, that's good works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now I want you to understand what I'm saying here. This is really, really important. When I was in college, I was working my way through school. This was many years ago. I got a job at the Merchandise Mart. The third floor of the Merchandise Mart, there was a company called Baker Knapp and Tubbs. The Merchandise Mart is such a big building, the Kennedys used to own it. I don't know if they still do, but it has its own zip code. It's so big. And as a young college student, I was trying to pay my way through school, and so I went and I got a job at the uh, merchandise Mart, Baker Knapp and Tubbs, and my salary at that time, my hourly wage was three thirty-five an hour. I think about it now and say, "Wow! Imagine hard work one whole hour, and then at the end you get three thirty-five." At the time, it was minimal wage. It's increased since then. But I remember working those long hours and I was basically hanging up pictures, moving furniture around, vacuuming. I was just doing, it was a showroom and so I worked those hours and then I would get a paycheck at the end and they would, it, it was my first real paycheck and they would deduct taxes and I was like, wow. I mean, it should be illegal to deduct taxes from this amount of money. And I remember going home with such a small paycheck and I was like fighting for every single hour I could get and it would go to my school bill. But I counted those hours up carefully. Now if I would have gone into the, my boss who was writing the paycheck and, and at the end of working for two weeks and, and, and working long hours to try, to try to get a decent paycheck and I would go on into him and he would just say, hey, Mark, how you doing? Listen, by the way, I, I want to give you a gift. And he were to give me my paycheck and say that it was a gift. I would have looked at him and said, this is not a gift. This is my paycheck. And you're missing two hours, by the way. Because when you work for something, you expect to be paid for it. It's not a gift. It's a debt that you expect that person to pay you for. And you keep very close track of the hours that you've worked. 
because you expect, hey, if they miss an hour, hey, that's one hour of paycheck that you're not giving me. So it's not a, this is not a gift given to you. This is a debt that's owed to you. Some of us approach God that way. We believe we're keeping very close track of our good works, and we believe that if we try to improve our life, that God owes us favor, that God owes us some favor if we uh, go to church and read our Bible and, and try to give to the poor and try not to swear and try to improve our life. We're trying to be good, trying to do things, and we say, God, I've lived good for two weeks, and so you owe me some favor. You owe me some forgiveness. You owe me some credit to my account. And when we do that, when we're doing good works to earn God's favor, then the entire debt of our sinfulness becomes ours. And so we become debtors to God because we're trying to pay off a trillion dollar debt making three thirty-five dollars an hour. And our, our debt's not going down much. But there's a difference between that and coming to God and say, God, I can never pay off my debt. I will never, no matter how good I try to be, I will never be able to pay off this huge debt. I need you to credit righteousness to me because I could never, never, the debt is too big. And God says, I'm offering you a gift. My gift has been given through my son, Jesus Christ, who came to pay the price. And the gift is the gift that credits you righteousness, righteousness that you haven't earned. You haven't deserved it. You haven't worked enough good hours to deserve that. But God says, I, I know that you could never pay off the bill on your own, so I'm going to give you the credit of righteousness. Not only am I going to eliminate your debt, but I'm going to put credit into your account. Hello, are you hearing me? This is huge. Not only... God is saying, am I going to wipe away your sins? But I'm going to add to your account righteousness. So now when you stand before God, he doesn't just see you at zero. He sees the righteousness of God, a positive balance in your account before him because God has deposited in your account something that you could never pay on your own. You say, well, pastor, how is that deposited? Through faith. You see, Abraham, and the whole argument here that the apostle Paul makes is that, is that Abraham, if he tried to work, he would incur a debt, but he didn't try to work. He believed and trusted God, and so he believed God, and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Look at verse 10. Secondly, our spiritual account is credited before good deposits even begin to show in our life. What Paul was saying, because the Jewish people respected Abraham and thought he was the father of faith and a very good person. But what Paul was arguing is that even before Abraham did any good works, he believed God. It says, under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was after. 
And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Listen, so then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness may be credited to him. The sign that a Jewish boy was being drafted into the family of God was that when he was a baby, he would be circumcised. And that was counted as an act of righteousness. What Paul was saying is that Abraham believed God. He was circumcised in Genesis chapter 17, but it was in Genesis chapter 15, 14 years earlier, that his faith was counted as righteousness. I want you to hear me well. Oh, I wish I could preach this, and I don't know if I can. When you come to God, you come to God as a huge debtor with a debt of sin that no one, no one can pay, not even yourself. And when you come to God as a sinner with a huge debt that the wrath of God is upon, someone has to pay your debt. It doesn't just go away. Someone has to pay the debt of your sin. God can't just say, well, you're a nice guy. I'm just going to erase it. No, it doesn't work that way. The wrath of God has to be satisfied. The wrath of God, the goodness of God, the holiness of God demands payment for the debt that's there. You cannot just go to the bank and owe, uh, owe thousands upon thousands of dollars and go to the bank teller and tell the bank teller, hey, you know, I've been through a tough time. I'm really a good person. Would you just wipe that thousands of dollars of debt off my account, please, pretty please? I mean, we're nice people. Can you just do that? The teller at the bank would say no because then the books would not add up. I can't just take $20,000 off of your debt because it would not be justified. Uh, someone has to pay it. That money has to come from somewhere to pay it. Spiritually before God, God cannot just erase our debt. Someone has to pay the price for the debt that you and I owe. And what the Bible says is that Jesus, Christ the righteous one, He's, been, he's come willing to pay that debt. I want you to hear me well. When you come to God to give your life to Jesus, to say, God, I'm going to follow you, God is not saying, I'm going to test to see how you do for the first six months. And if you do a lot of good works in the first six months, then I'm going to wash your sins away. That's not how it works. The way it works is this. You come to God with a huge debt. Every sin you've committed since you were young, every lust, every lie, every anger, every cuss word, every envy, every deception, every bigotry, every covetousness, Attitudes of the heart, attitudes of the mind. When you come to God, there's a huge debt that you cannot pay. When you come to God, you come and say, God, I have a huge debt before you. But I believe in the solution that you've given me. I come to you in faith, and I trust that Jesus Christ alone has the power to forgive me. The Bible says that when you come to God that way, 
that you come to God with faith, believing that he has the power to change you, believing that he has the power to make you new. Listen, you may have walked in this place, a womanizer, an adulterer, a addict, a someone that maybe this past week you were out there doing disgusting things and hanging out in places and lying and betraying and doing everything that you did in the world. And when you come to this place, God knows who you are. God sees who you've been. God fully understands the degree of your sin. But when you come to God, you come in faith and you say, God, I believe that you have the power to wash me. And I believe in faith that I will be a new creation. I believe that I will be a new person. I believe that I can fully change by your power, by what you have done For me, I believe, and God doesn't say, well, let's see if that happens. The Bible says that the moment that you have faith in him, it's credited to you as righteousness. Even before there's one good work that you do as a new creation, God has already washed the debt of your sin fully and completely away. Credited as righteousness. Look what he says. But through the righteousness that comes through faith. I'm going to end with this. Listen. The last part of this says our spiritual debt, number three, our spiritual debt is paid in full by the deposit made to our account when we believe in the risen Jesus. Verse 16 says, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Listen, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of change, the promise of new life, it doesn't come by you saying to God, I'm going to be a better person. It never comes that way. It doesn't come by you trying to work to make it happen, it never comes that way. It comes when you trust in what Jesus Christ has done for you. You come, and and however you come to God, you come in the moment that you come to God and say, God, I trust you to forgive me, wash me, make me a new person. The moment God sees faith in you, willing to take his gift of forgiveness and eternal life, at that moment of time, that's why I'm so big believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why when I preach to you, I believe that you can walk out of this place a changed person. Some of you, when you walk in this place, I want you to hear me well, because this is the reality. Some of you, when you walk into this place, if you were to die before you walked in this place without giving your life to Jesus, you would go to an eternity without God, an eternity of suffering and damnation. That's what the Bible tells us. An eternity apart from God, an eternity in darkness, and one decision of faith, one act of faith that says, I know I am in debt. I know I can't pay for my sin, but I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I ask that he would be Lord. I ask that he would forgive me. That one act of faith changes your standing before God, changes your eternal destiny, gives you the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That's why I believe in the gospel so powerfully. (laughs) 
You say, well, pastor, if it's not because of my works and my good deeds, it sounds too easy, pastor. What if I come and give my life to God and say, Lord, I accept you. But then I keep on living like I always used to live before. What happens? Oh, here's what I believe. Listen. Your good works aren't there to try to make you right before God. Your good works are an evidence. They're evidence that you truly have come to know God. See, you don't do good works to try to gain the approval of God and salvation. The good works and the change that are made in your life are because you are a new creation, because you are forgiven, because you, you are cleansed by God, because you do have in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because you're a son and daughter of the most almighty God. And so now you start to live like God, act like God, love like God, be like God. Why? Because you've been indwelt by the power of God in your life. And he wraps things up. And he says to us, listen, he says it was credited to him in verse 23. Were written not for him alone. It was credited to him, was written not for him alone, not for Abraham alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. How is righteousness credited to us when we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, that Jesus has all power to cleanse us and forgive us? Listen, I want to close with this. There are some of you that walked into these doors today and you walked in with a debt before God that no man or woman could pay. You walked in before into this place with a debt that's so big, it's so grievous, it's so strong, it's so burdensome that it condemns you. You walked in before it with a debt so big that if you were to die and stand before the judge, he would just say, your debt's too big. Some of you walked in this place with years and years of sin, years and years of turning your back on God, years and years of doing your own thing, walking your own way, living your own life. You walked into this place with a huge debt, and today the Spirit of God is saying to you, I have the power to forgive you that debt that you owe before God, that debt that you can't pay. If you decided today, I'm going to improve my life and try to be the best person on the face of this earth, and you're 35 years old, and you say, until I'm 90, every day I will get up and pray. Now for the rest of my life, I will read the Bible every day. I will give all that I have and give it to the poor. I will spend, I will quit my job, live on the streets and spend 24 hours a day trying to find good things to do and I'm going to pick up gum from the sidewalk and I'm going to help little old ladies cross the street and I'm, I'm, I'm going to write cards of thank you to people that need it. I'm going to spend time working at orphanages and from this day on, you spend all of your life trying to do good, all of your life trying to be the perfect individual, not sinning, not lusting, uh, living a celibate life and you determine, I am so I am so convinced that I need to improve my life and from this day on at 35, you were to live till you're 90. As almost a perfect saint, you would still be condemned before God.
because you can never pay that debt. You can never be good enough. You see, the only way that your sin can be forgiven and washed is by receiving a gift. The, mil the spiritual millionaire himself is giving you a gift that you could never repay. And he's saying, I will pay your debt. And if you try to work for it, you become indebted. But if you humbly break, bow yourself before God and say, God, I cannot pay this debt. It's way too big. I will never be able to pay it. My sin is way too great. But today I receive the gift of the one who died on that cross to pay my debt, the only spotless son of God. And that's why it had to be Jesus who had no spot, sin, or wrinkle on him. It had to be the perfect lamb that was sacrificed. And when Jesus died, he said to Telestai, it is paid in full. And anybody and everybody that comes to the cross of Jesus to say, I need the debt that wipes away my debtedness and adds to my account righteousness, you, come, you may have come in here, listen, listen to me well, and some of you, I have a hard time believing this, you may have come in here a prostitute and lived the last decade of your life selling your body to whatever men are able to pay the price and lived 10 years of prostitution and everything that's involved in that. And when you come to God, with that debt of sin upon you and receive the forgiveness of your sin and the gift that only God can give you, not only is your past washed away, but you are credited with righteousness. What does that mean? That when God sees you, not only does he see you at zero, but God sees you as righteous before him as someone that has been piled on with good works, not that you have done, but that Jesus has credited to you. He has washed away your past. He has cleansed you. And when you walk out of this place, God sees you as a person redeemed, cleansed. He doesn't see who you were. He sees who you are now. He doesn't see the old person that you were. He sees the new person that you have become. That is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no news better than the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ.